the saga continues. Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang. Olympic torch flaming, we burn so sweet. The thrill of victory, the agony defeat. We crush slow, flaming deluxe slow. Poor judgment day cometh, conquer is war. It, what, 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 I, what I've learned with, you know, working with Myron and doing Throws Chat, and I've kind of known this for a few years now, but how easy is it to share a throwing video like on Facebook and go into various different um, channels like um, Throwholics Discussion Group, um, Throwing in the World Discussion Group, like how many of those different like fan throws pages are there where you can just share your content and people eat it up? Because... The throwing community, like, they're desperate for content. They love, even if it's, like, bad content, they just want content. It doesn't matter. You know? Throwing in the world is sort of like that. We're like, dude, I like that guy. Sometimes he posts cool stuff, and then sometimes he posts those vines. I'm like, dude, I don't want to see that shit. Like, Yeah. But, but, it's funny. I just wanted to point that out because you said about, like, they need content. Well, it's just, like, the, the community in general. Like, I think... You have this market of people, like a few, like, and what's funny is it's not just like a few hundred people. It's a couple thousand, and it's not even just the U.S. It's across the world. If you have a social media account, you know, there's something about the sport that when people get into it, they really get into it. And what I think is great about it is, like, just by posting a video of yourself. So I, I don't really do anything special. I have an Instagram, but I can still get 300 views without even putting a single hashtag in. But I'm not trying to promote myself in that respect as of right now. But my point is, like, those channels are out there, and to me it just kind of comes down to almost laziness if you're not willing to promote yourself. If you're, you know, going day-to-day trying to push the post-collegiate, you know, way of doing things and you're struggling paycheck to paycheck, you know, why not go that extra route? Like... You know, try to get find companies near you that might, you know, do T-shirt design and stuff like that. Try to, you know, one, some, something that we want to do is eventually just, like, have people, you know, have T-shirts that are just, like, themed after throwers. You know, something like that just to get people's awareness, brand awareness out there. Right. Like, I think that's just simple stuff. But, like, eventually... It can go a long way. Yeah, exactly. Just something like that, I think, you know, just having people know your name, posting a lot... You know, that can just do a lot for, you know, your brand. But it can get you contact with possible future sponsors. And what I yeah, like to see... That's, yeah, that's one thing that I've struggled with. So, like, when when we... With Earthbed Muscle, when we started sponsoring throwers, like um, Darrell and Ryan Whiting and Mo, and it was like, Chris was so anti-throwing. And, and this is this speaks to the community as a whole... And this is the frustrating part with throwing is that, you know, I fought tooth and nail for us to sponsor these guys. And Chris is like, so what? Why are we sponsoring them? So that, you know, five people buy our stuff over a year because they, they know who Ryan Whiting is. Like, because of, like, that's the other downfall with throwing world is like, with the throwing world is that the throwing world doesn't support throwers as well as it should. And it's like, mm. That's, that's like the second part is like, okay, so you, you've pushed it out there, but then we need to, as throwers, also support each other. Like, yeah. like so, so we're continuing to sponsor these throwers, and there's sometimes that I sit there and I'm like, dude, why are we doing this? It doesn't make sense from a business perspective, but then you guys pop up, you know, Throws Chat pops up, and, and, and I talk to you guys, and we're like, okay, let's try it. Let's figure this out, and I can talk to Chris, and I can sit there and be like, oh, Chris, let's try Throws Chat. 
for the next three to five months, and let's see if something can work out. Let's see if we can get this to work with Thoros Chat, and if, if they can get us a couple of sales, and we can keep pushing a little more into the throwing community, and the throwing community becomes a little bit tighter knit, then this is gonna this could spark like a big entrepreneurial spirit behind the community to to further for the sole purpose of furthering the sport of throwing. Yeah. And let's just see if it works, and that's like where we're at right now. That's what's cool about this, like. That's where we're at, and that's where I do think, you know, it, it's one thing to push yourself, but then it's another thing for, as a thrower, to also support the other throwers and sit there and be like, yo, you know, like, this company's cool, like, yo, Rody, is making these cool gloves, we should support him, or, you know, this this guy's making uh, an elbow sleeve that, that's a, a top-notch elbow sleeve, like, we should we should get that instead of buying, like, Ray-Ban, and, and not that Ray-Ban's bad, but I'd rather support a thrower, and that's the cool part, yeah. it's like, we can really, really come together as a group and be productive on all levels and and eventually lead to something serious where I'm, I'm sort of going off on a tangent here, but I, I had a long talk with a guy named Terry Colot. He runs Colot.com and it's a wrestling subscription site. And he's like, look, like when I, when I first started this subscription site, this is where it was 10 years ago, but this is wrestling. Wrestling is a, is a very large community. It's pretty tight knit. And every year there's a new group of wrestlers that come up and their parents take it super seriously and they want to figure out a better way for their kids to become better wrestlers. And that's the part with throwing is like the throwing environment is like, oh, you just you become a thrower to go half ass you know, high school practice and get like a varsity letter. And it's like, no, yeah, like, that's not yeah. the environment we want anymore. We got people like Garage Strength and, and, and Rhodey and uh, yeah, Eric yeah, and those types, those, those groups – that are training high school kids, those groups are changing the environment of the high school throws community. And that's going to lead to a long-term change of, okay, now instead of being like this passive, laid-back, lazy man sport, it's going to turn into wrestling where it's like, and that's where you're going to start seeing like the clean world record really get pushed long-term because we're going to get guys more and more guys like Ryan Krauser coming out of high school that actually care about throwing and less about, you know, playing football or whatever. Yeah. I think the market is there, you know. I yeah. I, I think I think the throwing community is getting better. And what what I like to see a change that I didn't even realize was happening with garage strength when I was there. It's stuff that I'm realizing after the fact that it could just be from growth of other uh, you know, things similar to you like Rody like uh, Eric Johnson with Ari Tay. But what I like to see is like this shift from, you know, this idea that if you want to make money as a coach or as an athlete, you have to go into the NCA. You have to be a coach. You have to have these facilities. You have to work with these people. And the fact is, like, why focus so much on such a bureaucratic way of doing things when you know, you can be a self-made thing and do things on your own, you know? Weightlifting, as of right now, I think is ahead of the curb um, for throwing. But I think if we see, like, and this is a discussion we had with Justin, if we could see more satellite groups kind of pop up across the U.S., I think it'll be much better for the sport. And I think that maybe the divide between college coaches and, you know, post-collegiate pro coaches will, you know, will, will thin a bit. Because what I like to see is that, you know, you are talking to Scott Kapos. You are talking to uh, Lucas McKay. You know, you're in contact with the big-time 
uh, Division One coaches. And I, I think there's something that can be learned from those different ways of doing things. Um, obviously, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. I think what's funny that you say that, I think if, it's a, if, if Scott came through at a different time, I don't think he'd be in, in the collegiate ranks. I think he'd be one of us. Um, yeah. I think, I think the other thing, sorry, I'm making a lot of noise. Um, I think the other side is that, you know, it is, it's, it's, you know, we are sort of glorifying, you know, what I'm doing right now and what Justin's doing and what, what uh, Eric's doing, but we need to keep in perspective here that it's not easy. Like, dude, Eric almost lost his, his entire, his entire like financial stability because he got sick and and he had he had serious health problems and he almost lost everything in his ha- in his life. Like I'm the same way. I got when I got Lyme disease. Like I almost lost my entire everything that I have. I almost I almost went bankrupt. And I think that that's stuff that we do need to remember is that yeah it's not easy. And that's why it's okay for these guys to go into the NCAA and be coaches because it's a little bit easier. And, and they do have to put in the time and the commitment long-term to get to the top. But it's I think that's that's why it, it needs to be like one of those things where we don't necessarily poo-poo somebody for going into the NCAA because it is a little bit it, – it's it's not as risky. Um, and that's why they might deal with the bureaucratic side. So, like, it, it needs to be and – I, and, I, and I can relate this to Lucas. When Lucas – started training post-collegiately and he got his job and he was like oh it's gonna be so easy for me to transition and i remember commenting on like it's not gonna be easy yeah and and it's it's not gonna be easy for him to do that so i think what we need to do is like recognize that it's not super easy to be a a division one throws coach oh absolutely not to be absolutely not to be the the private enterprise and and with that being said there's a place for the division for the NCAA system and there's a place for our systems. And yeah. if we can have positive relationships and discuss this and unite each other. And that's one cool thought part with McKay is like, he's even said to me, he's like, dude, this is cool. Like you could be like our minor league slash development team with, with the high school guys feeding hmm. Penn state and Capos has said this as well. Like I want to get your guys and girls and then post-collegiately, they come train, and they continue to develop post-collegiately with me again. And it's like it's it's cool to have a relationship like that because it makes it special and it makes the sport a longer-term sport, and it and it makes you know it helps us to develop the fringe athletes as well. And that's one thing too I wanted to bring up is like the part with with Eric and Justin and I, and, and I'm probably leaving other guys out, which I I. I'm not as in tune with that that stuff as you guys are with who else is doing this. I I really just know the three of us. That those um, are kind of main people that I know too. Um, okay. Yeah. So I'm sure there's other guys doing a hell of a job, but I'm just pointing because I know Eric well, and I know Justin well, and I and I think like the one thing too is like Lucas McKay, and, and if we could sort of connect the dots here. Coach Chase Ely, and then Chase wanted to move back home, and he he wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And now she's back, and she's in the Southwest, and she's working with with Eric, and 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 that's another thing. Like Rachel, and she's she was a fringe shot putter. She was an eighteen meter shot putter, but she was still a fringe girl, and that's like she's still gonna get developed there. And it's it's one thing with Rachel, like 
dude, no Division One coach would have taken Rachel on as a project and taken her as, as a 50-foot shot putter at her last meet in college and said, you know what, I'm going to roll with this chick and I'm going to try and develop her into into one of the best shot putters in the United States. And, and, and you know, she came to me and I was fortunate that I'm in a situation where I can put more time into her and I can put more investment into her and I'm going to develop her into the, one of the best shot putters in the United States. And, you know, last year she hit the world qualifier. That's the thing is like having the private enterprise guys enable some of these fringe throwers to continue to be developed because what ends up happening is with, with the NCAA guys that, that tend to work the post-collegiate system, the, the NCAA guys might see somebody like Rachel like, nah, she's not good enough. She's not an 1850 girl. Like, I, I don't want to develop her. I don't want to waste that time because I have my own, I have my own issues I got to deal with with my, with my college kids because college kids are a giant pain in the ass and they have a lot to deal with themselves. So it's sort of like, it's cool to have both sides and then try to unite them together and see how they can work together to make a positive impact for the long-term development of the sport and for these, you know, these French type people. Yeah. And that's the thing like, um, that like, and and that's what I want to make clear is like, I, like, I think what college coaches are doing is incredibly hard work. And honestly, I think if even someone wants to try balancing a pro athlete along with their own college athletes, like, uh, all power to you because that's got to be even tougher work because that's so many different types of training schedules and different yeah. ways you got to train someone because their season is now twice as long as your NCAA athletes and I couldn't imagine how difficult that was because especially if you're a top level D1 coach I can tell you that when I was at K-State coach Greg Watson you know he was you know coaching people from 8 a.m. till 8, 8 a.m. to almost 8 p.m. at night almost you know five days a week and that was just with NCAA athletes, not including whether or not he was coaching Brittany Smith or Amanda Binkson in hammer throw shot put, respectively. You know, like, that is the, the level of commitment that I think that you guys are kind of fulfilling that niche where people do have that opportunity to go to train with people like you, Justin, or Eric, where, you know, you, you can be more accommodating to that type of situation for those athletes. Um, yeah, that absolutely. they that they might not be able to get from their you know top level coach, and I, I just wanted to you know explain that like what coaches are doing in the NCAA is incredibly difficult work, um, and especially having to go to across travel across the country every week every weekend just to um, you know go to these big time meets you know that has to be super super stressful. Well, it's not even, dude. I don't even think that's the hard part. I think it's managing the personalities that's the hard part. Like, yeah, yeah. I met some personalities. Well, <laughs> and you gotta remember, the kids in college are nineteen to twenty-four. Like, dude. And I'm not even gonna apologize for this because you guys are in that age group. But like, nineteen to twenty-four year olds are, dude. You guys are stupid. Like. <laughs> Can't argue with that. You're like super immature, and I'm not saying that. Too, I, I do believe you guys are super actually mature, but like most college kids, myself included, dude, I was an absolute idiot when I was that age. Like I was a drunk fool, and I didn't listen to anybody. So that's like one thing too that we gotta remember is like these guys are dealing with characters that are just prima donnas, immature, hard to manage, the social life, and all that shit. It's like, I don't even think the, the schedule's that hard. I think it's more of like, okay, how can I get, how can I get somebody like, 
like let's let's say Kovacs. How can I get somebody's personality like Kovacs that's very strong to mesh with somebody who's a 21 year old who needs even more attention because they're self conscious and they're they're you know they're a really good athlete but they they need to be like caressed in training and stuff. I think that's even more difficult than the than the scheduling part. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's where I was lucky. Like the 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 six months I had a chance to train with Brittany Smith and you know. Danny Winters, who, you know, I was in a lucky training environment that I got to train with two elite women shot putters. Brittany Smith was a six-time NCAA All-American 19-meter shot putter. Danny Winters, that year, uh, that upcoming season that I wasn't around for, you know, she went on to win the NCAA Indoor Championships. Like, being in that training environment, like, we all had even different personalities I felt like I was able to learn from someone like Brittany in that situation and then eventually shift that into training with Terrence Suddy, like yeah, how yeah. to kind of conduct a training session where you have to be focused, but right. at the same time, it can be somewhat lighthearted when it needs to be. Um, well, and, and, and I, th- I, I, I guess what like, I'm saying is, like I think my, it's, oh, sorry. Well, well sorry. my argument was like, you're more mature in that regard that you would appreciate that environment and you would yeah. learn from it. But some of like somebody, let's say somebody's a, a not as mature, then that coach has to analyze like, okay, how can I deal with Taryn or, or Brittany or Danny, somebody of that caliber who is super focused and still manage my you know, my girl who I also am trying to get to be an NCAA All American so that I can keep my job as a as an NCAA coach. You know, yeah. that's that's pretty difficult. Yeah. If you have a case where the, the athlete is more immature. Yeah, and I, I think we just—I think we were lucky uh, with the people yeah. we had at the time, um, and the people I've got a chance to train with. But I can definitely see like that can be an issue, and the fact that that could be an extra thing you have to worry about, where I then have to give that post collegiate a private session and devote more time to that person because the their you know their twenty year old freshman or something like that who goes out partying every other night you know, will negatively affect their training. So right, that, exactly. you know, that's yeah, just yeah, another yeah. thing to tack on to what can be difficult about trying to tr- train a post-collegiate while you're also dealing with your own college kids. Yeah, that's the point I wanted to make. So I, I, I apologize if I offended you. Oh. Jason. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure I wasn't the, the greatest person to train with on some respects, be having some of that uh, college angst. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just part of the, the dude. I just think about myself, and I'm like, dude, I was such a freaking baby. I mean, I was a baby until I was 27. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about myself throwing uh, tape measures and shit and breaking it because I wasn't mature enough to actually actually handle stress properly at that age. Uh, that that has been a bone I've, I've I've always had to pick with you because I I remember the exact training session you did that at because um, I think it was me and you and maybe one other person Evan Arnott may have been there but I can't remember it was about twenty degrees out the ground was frozen solid it was nine a.m. in the morning you were throwing like crap and then like halfway through the session you picked up our only tape measure because you had two to three other ones that were already broken. And you went and threw it 50 feet in the air and came crashing down on the hard ground and completely shattered. And I remember being so pissed off because that was our last good tape measure. And if people were like at garage strength at the time, you knew that literally the discus circle wasn't filled with 
the discus circle is always filled with random junk, and that junk was most likely broken tape measures and just unwinded tape measures that were torn in half. That's so true. <laughs> Holy shit, that's so true. And I always remembered how... I remember being so pissed at you that day, even in high school, just because... And that's when I bought my own tape measure, which I still have today, and fortunately just broke the other day. I was so mad because... Because of being in that situation, I've held tape measures in such high regard. <laughs> that was my whole point of throwing it. I wanted to teach you a life lesson. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if you remember this, but when I when I won indoor states, uh, my mom wanted to take me to like the uh, the merchandise booth, and she was like, "Hey, I'm gonna get you a shirt, but you can only get one item." I was like, "Wait, I can only get one item?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna get you a shirt." I was like, "Nah, I don't want a shirt. I want a hundred foot long tape measure." that will be mine that Dane can't break. <laughs> and I brought that tape measure of training, and I, you know, I've had it for four or five years now, and it's one of those things, like, I refuse to let... I, I, I wouldn't refuse to let people use a tape measure, but I was very cautious about it because I was so protective of it from training with you. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure if you knew that, but, like, that was something I carried along with. Now um, just think about how immature I was in college. So that's where I, that's where I will give the collegiate guys a, a big nod is that dude, they deal with a lot of immature idiots and myself. Like I was that kid. Yeah. So uh, just to shift into um, just an upcoming event that both Rose Chat and yourself will be a part of, along with Roadie Sport, um, we're about to ha- go into um, Grand Valley University's uh, Big Throws Clinic. Um, where we're going to have a bunch of different seminars. It's a two-day clinic um, in December. And what can you tell us about what you're going to be doing um, at the clinic those two days? Uh, the first day, I'm going to be doing uh, an Olympic weightlifting demonstration slash seminar like clinic type thing where it's I'll be presenting a clinic about using Olympic weightlifting and throwing, but also in sports in general. So how I apply... Um, Olympic weightlifting and the various movements to sports performance. Um, so if you want to sign up for that, put in Garage Strength or Dane Miller in there. Um, but that'll be all related to sports performance. I think that that's it. Last year, you know, last year was okay. We only had like three people sign up, and we've already more than tripled that uh, that attendance for for my clinic on the on Olympic weightlifting, and I'm. I'm excited to, to use sort of what I've learned over the last year with wrestling and football and, um, I mean, obviously weightlifting and throwing and how I want to help people apply that to their own situations. Um, so that'll be like the first day. I believe that's Saturday. And then Sunday, I'll be doing a presentation on what I'm calling <coughs> the, the speech will be entitled to spin or not to spin, that is the question. So it'll be entirely geared around when you're in high school or college and, and whether or not you should spin or glide and, and how to analyze the situation and, and use like a almost like a scoring system to set up for for coaches that they so it's, it's gonna be like me releasing my scoring system that I'm hoping that people can take home and actually use and and apply at their high school or collegiate level and say like, Oh, this kid wants to spin or this kid wants to glide. Well, let's analyze this. Let's go through these questions and, and rank everything and, and come up with a, with a pretty somewhat firm answer to that 
hard, hard question that we've all dealt with at some point. Um, so that's that's like the the main thing that I'm really excited about because I, that's a topic that I think too many people undervalue the spin and too many people overvalue or overvalue the spin and they undervalue the glide because they don't know how to teach it and and ultimately at the same time that I say that most people I do believe should be spinning so it's sort of a it's going to be an interesting talk on on how I can how I use that and how I used it with with Lucas and and where I think there's been um, failures and successes in regards to that in, in myself even included in that in that topic so it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting and I'm, and I'm excited about that plus I'll be doing the the discus the discus instruction and coaching I want to say I have six five or six throwers there so it's for the discus alone um, for the indoor discus comp so I'm I'm very very excited for it and I'm very anxious to see uh, Noah compete for the first time under garage strength and and it's going to be our first unveiling of throws university we're going to be releasing a book that at the camp at the clinic uh throws university will be releasing a book which i'm really really excited about so that's like another side project where it's like throws you is releasing a book that day and 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 i'm anxious to see the reception of the book and and how people feel about it and if it's worthwhile for them as well. So it's, it's going to be a really big weekend for, you know, my, my brand and, and for our group of throwers and our, and, and just our transfer of knowledge to everybody else and, and how they can apply it in their, in their respective situations. That's awesome. I, I think it's going to be a great weekend. Um, Throws shall also be uh, providing some things uh, over the weekend, which we'll be announcing soon. Um, Dane, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the podcast today. I thought we had a great conversation. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's really important um, <clears throat> what coaches like you are doing uh, for the community, you know, providing that safe haven for post-collegiates to come improve themselves, maybe not only as athletes, but also as people. And I think uh, that's a service that we desperately need. Uh, you're taking the sport in the right direction. And I just want to thank you for all the work you've done. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, dude, I, I truly think that, like, you guys, the Throws Chat, what you guys are doing, um, I think you're doing a really good job. And I think that, that stuff's I think that stuff's absolutely imperative to continue to grow the sport. And, and you're using it in a positive direction as well. And I think that's just going to be a really, really good platform for public discourse on how to continue improving everything and and you know, eventually supporting more throwers. And that's ultimately the goal is that every, everything that we're doing from a, from a business and social media side is to support the throwers and, and develop throwers to become champions and improve, you know, their, their, their sport results. So it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of this podcast and, and to see it go full circle too, with where, where you were when you started with you know, <laughs> training with me until now, it's, it's something I'm proud of. Well, thank you so much. Well, have a great day, Dane. We wish you the best. All right. See you guys. All right. That wraps up the fifth episode of the Throw Chat Podcast. Now, coming up on December 16th and 17th is the Grand Valley State University Big Throws Clinic. Jason, tell us a little bit about what throwers can expect from the clinic. Throwers can expect from the clinic uh, three of the best throws coaches in the United States, and Dane Miller from Garage Strength, Justin Rohde of Rohde Sport, 
and Sean Denard, who's also the coach at Grand Valley State. There will be classroom lectures, learn-by-doing sessions, and a weightlifting seminar hosted by Dane Miller. We'll also be hosting three throws competitions, one of which is a first-ever indoor whammer competition, an over-underweight shot put competition, and the third annual Indoor U.S. National Discus Championship, where over five 60-meter discus throwers shall be competing. Throwers who register for the GVSU Big Throws Clinic under the referral code RODYSPORT will receive a free four-week special strength program designed for shot and discus throwers. Along with that, RODYSPORT will be offering huge discounts on shot put gloves, lifting straps, apparel, and wrist wraps. For more information, visit throwschat.com and click on the Throws Clinic tab.